I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. What's up, everyone, and welcome to The Reluctant Historian. This is the podcast where I try to show my husband that history is actually cool. I'm your host, Liz Lawson, and this is our Reluctant Historian, Dakota Lawson. On this podcast, I'll tell him the story from history, and he'll share his unapologetic thoughts and opinions. So, if you love history, or you absolutely hate it, this podcast is for you. So, Dakota, do you know what special event happens on March 10th? It's my friend Blade's birthday. Oh, happy birthday, Blade! Or Megan? One of them is... Megan or Blade is on... They're really close to each other. One's on the 10th, one's on the 15th. Uh, Okay, so Blade or Megan's birthday. Yes, I think Blade's. I, don't know I think Megan's is the 15th. Why are you staring at me so creepy right now? This is my remembering face. I'm trying to remember. Great. Um, no, actually, March 10th is National Middle Name Pride Day. National National Middle Name Pride Day. Oh, we're going to have to share our middle names, aren't <laughs> yeah, we? Yeah, <laughs> what's your middle name, my love? Uh, my middle name is Donald, named after my grandfather. So, Not the duck. Yeah, Yeah, not the... Not the duck. <laughs> <laughs> or the orange Cheeto. <laughs> or the orange Cheeto. <laughs> yeah, I like the that's what we're calling it now. I like that. Yeah. Uh mine is Gene Parker. Yeah. Yeah. I knew that. You did. Um so anyways, that got me thinking. And so for this week's episode, what I wanted to talk about was the history of names. Oh, cool. That actually sounds really interesting. Yeah, I didn't really know if there would be, if it would be easy to research because like naming is as old as language itself. Yes. But I did actually get into it and had a lot of fun doing the research. And in the office, we got to talk <laughs> a lot about names and it was it was a fun, fun conversation that day. Okay, cool. So is this like origins of all names or just like last names or and middle names, I suppose? Well, we're going to be looking at um, first and last names, but good question because I only actually looked at Western, the history of Western names. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't look at like the history of Asian names. Right. Um, that would have just, that would have been a lot of it research. Been, yeah. <laughs> and we're, our, our episodes are really only like half an hour long. To 45 minutes. Yeah. So. So if you want to know more about that, I guess. Look it up yourself. Or you could put a request in. Or do the research yourself. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So sit down, buckle up, and get ready to listen to the history of naming. like to begin by recognizing that we are recording on Treaty 6 territory and the homeland of the Métis Nation. 
We make this acknowledgement in recognition that we are settlers here on the land that belongs to the many different First Nations of Canada. So Dakota, no corrections this week. So no correction connection. Well, that's good. Yes. Do you have a golden nugget for us? Yeah, I was just thinking about this just before the show. I, I guess uh, just that I had a week off. Mm-hmm. You know, I think overall that was uh, it was a good week. Mm-hmm. It was felt much too short. It just flew by like crazy. You know, 15 Marvel movies is just <laughs> <laughs> that's a. Uh, well, it goes quicker than you think. It does. Yeah, and it we does. Still, when we still have a lot to go, yeah. we didn't we didn't complete our goal, but we're gonna slowly work towards it. And uh, I'm proud of what we did. Me too. I'm proud of us as well. Yeah. What about you? Uh, I think my golden nugget today was a very simple nugget in that it was finally not minus fifty bajillion degrees outside, and we were able to take the dogs to the dog park. Yeah. It's yeah. Like, <laughs> such a simple, simple thing but when like yesterday right so it was kind of nice outside yesterday and i saw probably 10 or 11 people walking down the street while i was knitting my blanket and i realized that uh it had been a long time since anybody had really been able to go outside because it had been so cold here yeah i thought you were gonna say that you realized that hey they're on our property (laughs) no they were walking on the sidewalk they're allowed to do that I am a homeowner. That is my sidewalk. I guess so. I guess so. Yeah, so that was my golden nugget. Cool. I kind of suspected that that was going to be yours. I know you love going walking the dogs, even when it's blisteringly chilly. Like, minus 12 is not blisteringly chilly. Well, the wind. The wind got me, so. It's true. And also today it was like minus one, so. Oh, still that wind, though. (laughs) (laughs) So how do we talk about the history of names? Um, It seems like a strange topic. And when I thought about doing this topic, I didn't even think there would be any information. But I was wrong. And people have done research on this topic and scholarly research as well. And like I said before, we're going to be looking specifically at Western cisgendered names. And so this is going to be an incomplete history of names because we're going to be looking at only those names. Is there going to be a lot of disputes over names like the history of dogs there was so many freaking disputes no good no i don't like disputes <laughs> apparently not uh the history of names is so ancient that no one knows the beginning of the story since written history began and as far back as the oral history record reaches people have had names uh because of this it's impossible to do more than guess at how earliest names were chosen but it appears that the most early names have some sort of like original meaning that is descriptive in nature rather than just being a like a nice way uh, or a simply pleasing collection of sounds. So what that means is that, you know, if you had a red-headed kid, maybe you would name him Red in in that language, right? Like, Because right. English is different than the language that would have been used at the time. Yeah. Sorry, I was thinking something meaner. <laughs> oh, I won't say it. But <laughs> All right, so these descriptive names um, developed from both nouns and adjectives, and examples including the Irish Gaelic name Conan, which means hound or wolf, and aid, which is A-E-D, spelt that way, and that means fire. And those are examples of nouns, or file, which can mean modest, honorable, or generous, and fin, which means fair, bright, and white, and those are examples of adjectives. So in the past, people would name you name their kids something descriptive of what they were. A more elaborate descriptive naming practice is described in the Bible when Rachel names her last son Benoni, meaning son of my sorrow, 
and he is renamed by his father Jacob to Benjamin, meaning the son of my right hand. Sorry, I just want to go back for a second. So, so my dad called me prick. <laughs> is that is that like does that describe who I am? What that you're I a am? jerk? Yes. So early names. <laughs> you just moving on from that. <laughs> Early names could also be compounds. And so, for example, the following Frankish names, so this is like an area of Germany, France, sort of, are compounds. So Sigibert means victory shining. Childric, which means battle powerful. Fredigen, which means peace battle. And Raedgund, which means council battle. I don't know why these people are obsessed with naming um, their children after battles, but that was the thing. Yeah, I would love to be named, uh, what was the battle, or the, what was the battle one? They're all battle. The the one where you're, like, fighting and shit? Fighting battle? Battle powerful? Battle powerful. Hello, my name means battle powerful. Yeah. Instead, I'm named after a state. That's true. <laughs> well, two states, so. Yes. That's something, I guess. And an indigenous tribe. That as well. Mm -hmm. Sometimes these compounds in pagan societies also referred to their gods. And so, for instance, in Norse culture, there were many names containing the name of the god Thor. And some examples of that could be Thorbjorn, Thorgir, Thorkel, Thorstein, and Thorvald. And for girls, we had Thordis, Thorgana, Thorhala, Thorkatla, and Thoran. Thoran. Hello, I am Thoran. Yeah. Early in prehistory, some descriptive names began to be used over and over and over until they formed a pool of names for that particular culture. And so parents would choose names from the pool of existing names rather than invent new ones for their children. As time went on and the language changed, many of the words that had formed the original name were no longer used, leaving the fossilized form of the name. So if we think about language and you're naming your kid something that means red, or I guess we could go back to one of the examples that I had given. If you're naming um, your kid Conan, which we know means hound or wolf, as your language develops and changes over time, Conan might not mean wolf anymore, but because it's become like a popular name, it sticks around. So we have Conan as a name, but it doesn't mean what it, like the word doesn't exist anymore. Right, so... It used to mean wolf, and now it means Arnold. <laughs> you know, Conan the Bar Barbarian? Boom, nailed it. <laughs> uh, so that's why we don't recognize the meanings of many names today. Their origins are in ancient languages from words that have passed out of use. And then on the other hand, a word that is not radically changed forms is the first part of the Old English name Wolfgar. Ooh. That, that's a name? Wolfgar? Mm -hmm. W-U-L-F. G-A-R. That sounds cool. And so you can tell that the first part of that name means wolf, and that's like still recognizable in that name. Cool. So you can like hypothesize that by looking at Wolfgar, you can tell that the fossilized form still sticks around. And the last part of that name, G-A-R, any guesses of what that could mean? G-A-R? Mm -hmm. Gar. Well, I saw a band called Guar once. Now let me try that again. G-A-R... Gar. Gar. Den hose? No, I got nothing. <laughs> uh, so it means spear. So this name, we have an example of where we can still kind of like piece together what the original word means and then have no idea what the other word means. So his name was Wolf Spear? Mm -hmm. Man, they had such cool names back then. <laughs> well, we could call you Wolf Spear if you want. Could you please? Sure. Thank you. 
Many of the most common names in circulation among English-speaking Western nations are born from our concept of Western civilization. There are a number of Eastern-based names, but this podcast we're going to talk mostly about the Western process. So these most common names actually make up more than 80% of the names currently in circulation within English-speaking nations. And they come from like way, 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 way back. Some of the oldest names on record are those of Hebrew origins, and their meanings generally fit with their respective name stories in the Hebrew Bible. So for instance, Adam means earth and Eve means living. Many other old Hebrew names feature God's name in its core meaning and were then anglicized later. So Michael means who is like God. Daniel is God is my judge. Matthew is gift of God. Um, Elizabeth also means gift from God. Ooh, lottie freaking die. What does my name again mean? I don't know. Did we look it up? I thought you told me at what point it, what it was. I think we did. I don't remember, though. Okay. What is it like? I feel like it was like running water or something like that. Well, maybe at the end of this episode, we'll look it up. Sure. Um, Isaiah, God of sal- God is salvation. Gabriel, man of God. Samuel, God listens. John, God is gracious. Nathaniel, God has given, etc., etc. So a lot of those names have Hebrew origins and then have been anglicized. So turned into like English sounding. Okay. Names familiar to us from the book of Exodus, such as Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, are believed to actually have Egyptian roots where those biblical figures were born. And so then meanwhile, in ancient Greece, the earliest evidence of naming also used compound names. So Alexandros was defender of mankind, Nicolaus, people of victory, Philippos, lover of horses, Georgios, worker of the earth. And they also used God-bearing names in Greece um, that were that were the before the Christian era. Dionysus, Demetrios, and Apollodotus. They had much cooler names back then. Can you imagine if I was called Apolliot- Apolliotis? That'd be cool. Like, I'm, like, wanting all of these names. <laughs> I see that. And I'm over here, like, hi, I'm Dakota. Fuck. <laughs> so, I think what, like, I'm giving you a ton of facts here right now, but I think what we need to know is that I- I'm kind of trying to give you a base of what some of these early names were. Yeah, much cooler than ours. Yeah. Um, these Greek names are Greek, clearly. Um, haven't been anglic- anglicized, but the ones that I was giving you before, the Hebrew ones, those had been anglicized. Okay. Uh, the New Testament. So actually a lot of our naming practices come from like Christianity, and we'll get into that in a bit. But the New Testament was originally written in Greek, and that had a profound impact on the spread and persistence of Greek names in Western civilization. So for example, Peter was Petros in ancient Greek, but that probably wasn't even his original name. Uh, His original name is Aramaic and was probably Cephas, which was an Aramaic name. And then the Greeks wrote down the Bible first. And so they would have turned his name um, into a Greek name, Petros. And then we would have turned it into an English name, Peter. So again, we can see how names change over time. Wait, so so just so I'm clear. So this wasn't this dude, Petros, his name, his own name didn't continually change it's just that name throughout the years would get turned into something else right you got it okay i was like <laughs> petros your name is peter now but papa i don't want to be peter i want to be <laughs> petros no yeah. you're peter so jesus was probably around there calling him cephas <laughs> hey yo cephas my name's petros <laughs> <laughs> and i i don't know why jesus uh, <laughs> Uh, addresses people by saying hey yo 
Petrus <laughs> or uh, Cephas. Cephas? Cephas. Cephas. Yes. And all of these mean rock. Oh, <laughs> I was like, does Jesus give the translations like of what these words mean? Is he like, ah, you are Cephas. Cephas means dog shit. <laughs> no, but I want to be Petros. <laughs> this is a fun little back and forth I'm having between Petros and Jesus. I see that. <laughs> so at the same time as all of this was happening in, in Greece, uh, the ancient Romans were developing something that we know as the trianomena, which means three names. Trianomena. Do-do-do-do. Trianomena. Do you know no, the song I'm saying? I do. Okay. It means three names. <laughs> okay. And this was a practice that was firmly in place by first century BC. It was initially reserved for members of the aristocracy, and then it spread across the greater society for utilitarian reasons because it made the identification of people more easy. The trianomia, nomina, <laughs> is made up of the prenomen, which is the given name, the nomen, which is the clan name, and the cognomen, which is the nickname. So some examples here. The preanomen could include Quintus, which meant fifth-born child, Lucius, child born at the light of dawn, or Gaius, which means rejoicing. The nomen reflected the child's most important public name and was an indicator of his clan membership and therefore his social status. So you could have Aurelius, which means gilded or golden, or Julius, Relating to Jupiter. Wait, so when you say clan name, were all of these people called this one thing? Or just the one person was specifically called this? All the people that belonged to that clan. All of them were called this one name? Yes. Okay. But you would have a different praenomen and a different cognomen. But your uh, nomen. Right, right nomen. because it's your clan. Yes. But then you're, uh, everybody has their own nickname and an actual name. So, yeah. okay. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. So then finally, you'd have the cognomen, which was a personal nickname. And it was the last to be established and almost always noted some physical or moral characteristics. So I guess that they would maybe give that to you later in life. So Rufus, red-haired, Cato, prudent, Severus, which means strict, and Cicero, which means eloquent. And Petros, which means Cephas, apparently. <laughs> but remember, Petros is a Greek name and we're talking about Roman. Yeah, but like, this one's sticking with me. <laughs> See that? <laughs> I just like to pretend this Petros is just like this little, sh little, greebly little shit. Kind of like myself, you know? You know who Peter in the Bible is, right? Pe well, yeah. Oh, is that who we're talking about? Yes. Oh, sorry. I was thinking of Petros <laughs> as this little, uh, greebly little shit. That, that's who we're talking about is uh, Peter yeah, in the Bible? Yeah, the rock on which Jesus built his church. Oh. But sure. You know what? Like, Peter, Petros... I'm sure people were like, hey, that dude did some cool stuff with Jesus. I'm going to name my kid Cephas Petros Peter. Cephas Petro Peter. Like, oh, all three of them? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Cephas Petros Peter. Cephas, Cephas Petro Peter. Come here. It's like when you use, like, uh, when your parents mad at you and you have to use all the names. Mm -hmm. did, uh, did your parents ever do that to, to you specifically? No. Elizabeth Jean Parker Beckman. No. No? Me neither, but I never got in trouble, so. You were the perfect child. Still am. Okay, but let's get back to names here. Okay. So like modern nicknames, cognomen were not always good. And some of those not nice nicknames could include Brutus, which meant stupid. Nasica, which meant big nose. <laughs> Crassus, which meant fat. And Bibulus, or 
bilbolus, which meant drunkard. Eventually, cognomen became inherited and passed down with pride, despite any original negative meaning, because what became more important was the status of the name, which was elevated by the men who had made something of it. So, for example, a name that we could give somebody, you could have Lucius Julius Cato, and he would be a child born at the light of dawn relating to Jupiter, who was prudent. And that would be your name. That sounds pretty cool. Do you want that name? I am Lucius Prudent Jupiter, son of Mars. There you go. <laughs> there was a lot of cross-pollination of names between ancient Greek and Roman societies. And they often borrowed heavily from one another in terms of their naming. So Rome at this time had a really large empire. And they had conquered outward and they had gotten all the way to Gaul and Great Britain and Ireland. And they had conquered the indigenous people there, the Celtic tribes. And when Rome fell, we had a lot of these tribes coming back across the Mediterranean. And we see their names having influence on the land. And then the the people that were in that land, like the Mediterranean, their names also having influence on the like tribes that were taking over so basically gaul was the region of western europe inhabited by celtic tribes as was great britain and ireland the celts were a warrior people and so their names reflected the values most important to them ancient kings druids and poets held important positions in their societies and their colorful mythologies and reverence of nature and animals are also reflected in their early naming practices and many of these were absorbed by the roman occupiers when the roman empire fell the migration of Germanic tribes through Europe happened. The Visigoths famously sacked Rome in 410 AD and moved throughout the area, peppering their names throughout the places they conquered. Sorry, they sacked them? Yeah, they like conquered Rome. They burned it down. Oh, okay. These names reflected their own warring nature and were made up of old Germanic words equivalent to spear, protector, ruler, army, bravery, and the like. The weakened Romans left what we now know as Great Britain in the late 4th century to defend their capital city of Rome leaving the native Celts unprotected and open to invasion. So this is where the Anglos and the Saxons moved in, and who are also Germanic in ethnicity, bringing their own language, which formed the basis of Old English. And they also brought their own variety of names. So what I want you to take from what I just said was that we have all of these like different cultures. So we talked about Hebrew, Aramaic, we talked about um, Greek and Roman and the Germanic tribes. And these guys all have different naming practices and they're all kind of like intermixing because they're coming in contact with one another. Okay, sounds good. By the early Middle Ages, many of the Indo-European language groups, meaning Greek, Latin, Germanic, Celtic, and Slavic, were being introduced to one another on a more regular basis through the movement of tribes across Europe, both by conquest and by peaceful settlements. However, it was largely the Christianization of the Western world that would have the single largest and most profound impact on the development of personal names. So remember, at the beginning of this podcast, I said 80% of the names that we have in use were, are from like this time period. That's due to the Christianization because nobody around here is still being called Quintus Julius Brutus. Well, I wouldn't be, want to be called Brutus. Yes. That's dumb, isn't it? Or stupid? Yeah. Yeah. But Quintus Julius. Yeah. I mean, there's lots of names that I would love to still be called. I don't know why would they ever changed that. Yeah. Well, Christian Christianization of the Western world. Well, damn. <laughs> so in the first centuries BC, the powerful Christian movement around the Mediterranean became impossible for the Roman Empire to ignore. And so under Emperor Constantine in the early fourth century, Christianity became the state recognized religion of Rome. And so from what I can understand, 
like remember from my university classes, the best way that I can get it to explain it is that the emperors of Rome were like, huh, we have all these little Christian people wandering around and instead of trying to make them, you know, pagans like us, we should just be like, okay, we're going to become Christians, but we're going to change it so that it fits our governmental ideas and strategies. So they kind of just took their their rules and their laws and put them on top of Christianity um, so that they could have more influence over the Christians that were becoming more powerful. So prior to that, when the Roman Empire was pagan, Christians were persecuted and martyred for their beliefs. As a result of the persecutions in the early centuries, many Greco-Roman names entered the Christian name pool in commemoration of these martyrs and saints. And so we have names such as Anthony, Catherine, Margaret, Mark, Martin, Nicholas, and Paul, which have Greco-Roman roots entering into this Christian pool of names because they had been martyred or persecuted for being Christians. These names continue to be spread across Europe in this time period by early missionaries throughout the Mediterranean Mediterranean Basin and Europe. And at the same time, pagan nations newly converted to Christianity did not abandon their original name pool. So now we've got these tribes that are pagan tribes having their original name pool, but as well as the Christian name pool. So martyrs native to the culture soon arose and their names are then added to the pool of Christian names available. So it's kind of like this pool of Christian names are just sucking in all of these martyr names of the martyrs that have been persecuted. And so we're getting this big pool of Christian names, which was carried across the globe with the Christianization of the Western world. This sometimes preserves names that would have otherwise fallen out of use. So for example, most Anglo-Saxon names fell out of use within two centuries of the Norman conquest of England, but ones that had been preserved because they were names of Christian martyrs stayed in this pool. And so the name Edward is actually from this time period. So that name is older than a thousand years. Oh, really? And that one's still... People are still named Edward. Absolutely. That's a very popular name. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying... Like, I was just trying to think. I'm like, I don't know anyone named Edward, but I'm pretty sure there are Edwards. Yeah. (laughs) Um, That's cool. So then why do... Why do certain names stick around like Edward or like, well, I guess Peter because it was Christianized, right? Or, mm. Right? Is that yeah. why it stuck around? Yeah. Well, because Christianity has had such a huge influence on the Western world and the development of the Western world. Right. And so names that probably like, right, people aren't calling their kids Wolfgar anymore because mm. there were no Christian martyrs or anything named Wolfgar. So name they continue to name their kids after famous people in the christian like popular culture right and so so where did you say edward came from uh, i don't know exactly but it was an anglo-saxon name oh so not a christian name well and then somebody who was like died for the christian belief um it became part of the christian name pool that people chose names from so what i'm trying to say is that there's a pool of names like a a group of names that a culture will choose from um that are commonplace Mm -hmm. and we had this christian name pool that a lot of people would choose their names from interesting so what we should understand here is that the christian influence on naming practices is pervasive Naming pools did, however, continue to evolve so that a selection of 9th century Frankish names bears little resemblance to a selection of 12th century French names. So what you can take from that is that in the span of 300 years, the names have changed so much, except for the Christian ones. 
So we think that, I guess, like the scholarly research on this um, hypothesizes that naming people after saints has a profound effect on the survival of these names in the West. Medieval times were full of hardships stemming from plagues, wars, and there was low infancy survival rates. The naming of a child after a saint was seen as a protective measure and that the saint would watch over the child from heaven and that God would look favorably upon people who had the names of his beloved saints. So, so the name Tim in the Bible, I don't know if he was, was he a saint, Timothy? I don't know if he was a saint, but he wrote a book in the Bible. So, right, like right. there would have been, they would have been like, and the book of Timothy right, or whatever. So there, people would have heard it a lot. So my best friend's name is Tim and my name is Dakota. So is he going to live longer than me? That's what they believed. Yes. Well, I hope they're wrong. <laughs> uh, names of apostles were especially popular. And if there was a name that was the same between many saints, such as John or James, or as we remember from our Valentine episode where there's like 14 Valentines, this was seen as double protection. So if you had a couple of saints with the same name, then they were all looking out for your kid. There are many female saints uh, but most of them would actually just feminize the names of male saints instead of giving them an actual female name. Hello, I am Timbalina. <laughs> <laughs> the pool of names in use in England changed radically with the Norman Conquest in 1066. So this is when uh, this guy named William the Conqueror came over. He was French. He came over to England and conquered them and was like, yo, now I'm your king. And they were like, mm, okay. I like to think that's how they talked. Yo, I'm your king. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Previous to this, compound names with two elements were the most dominant type of name. So, Beetlevine, Cuthbert, Ethelwine, Elthreda, Ethelreda, Wilfer, and Wolfgar were examples of compound names. So I don't want to be named Elthreda. <laughs> so, these were the really popular names. And then, with the political prominence of the Normans who were kind of like the French. They took over England and brought in the French language. So there was a dichotomy of the aristocrats using the French languages and the commoners using an old Anglo-Saxon language. And that's changing the name pools again. However, French names of Germanic origin become more prevalent within two or three generations of the conquest. And so we see the rise of names such as Emma, Matilda, Richard, and William. And at the same time, a few old English names like Edward and Alfred were preserved because they were the names of saints or prominent kings. Other names were preserved because they were reinforced and modified by Germanic names from the Normans. So these are names like Robert. So this is where we get to see how a lot of these names have changed at this time period and how they've kind of stuck around in our naming pool in the Western world. Varying dialects across the country and scribes, so people who wrote things down, would write them on a sounds-like basis in a written form, which caused the changing of names over time. So Molly and Polly became colloquial medieval forms of Mary, and similarly, Maggie and Peggy were both used for Margaret. So basically, because you have different dialects or different... Like, if you think about how if we were to go to, like, Nova Scotia... And we wouldn't really be able to understand some of the things that they're saying. It's the same thing here, right? Like you've got like shorthand words, which mean different things in a different area that you live. Does this tie into how like Richard can be? Yeah, I'm going to get to that. Yeah. Okay. So so does this tie into how Richard is also known as Dick? Mm-hmm. Okay. So literally, this is the next thing that I'm going to say. Okay. Because th this confuses me greatly. Or yeah. Robert is Bob. 
Um, so they liked to rhyme their names during medieval times. But they didn't know how to rhyme, so <laughs> well, Richard. So, so Dick. <laughs> Rick uh-huh. is a short form of Richard. Uh-huh. And what rhymes with Rick? Dick. <laughs> so they they so somehow Dick becomes shorthand for Richard because it just keeps being repeated over and over and over again. And they're just like becomes commonplace. Yeah, Dick is short term for Richard. And society is so dumb that we thought Let's continue with that. <laughs> I guess so. I mean, obviously, Dick didn't mean the same thing in medieval times. No, but even that, that to me, is not necessarily what it's uh, about. Let's even talk about the name Robert, calling it Bob instead. I'm assuming they were doing Rob and then rhymes with Rob, Bob. Exactly. That... <laughs> Look at you. You got Look at it. Me. I know how to rhyme. <laughs> but, and but... then William, we have Will and... Bill. Yeah. Yeah. I work with the Bill, so I know that one. And your father-in-law's name is Bill. Oh, that too. Billiam. 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 So anyways, that's how we're getting all these new names in the Western pooling name pool of English speakers. And then we also get um, pet forms and diminutives because there are so many people being called Richard, so you have to come up with like nicknames and stuff. So if you have the name Mary... Some pet forms or diminutives of this could be May, Mamie, Mall, Molly, or Polly, and John becomes Jake, Jack, and Johnny. Well, those are just different names. <laughs> <laughs> At that point, like, just call them something else. <laughs> yes. We have pet names to help distinguish people, and that's kind of where last names come from. And this is going to get kind of complex, oh, so good. I'll try to explain it as best I can. So they're developed from by names, um, which are additional identifiers that were used to distinguish two people with the same given name. And these begin to occur around the 11th century in Europe. So before that, we didn't really have last names. There are four particular patterns that make up a by name slash last name. And they usually started out as a specific to a certain person and then become inherited from father to son um, sometime between the 12th and 16th century. So in the 11th century, your last name or your by name was just specific to you. But as time goes on, you begin to inherit it from your father. Um, Some of these types include patronomic, which refers to the person's father or mother, a locative or toponymic, uh, which indicates where a person is from, an epitaph which describes a person in some way, or a name derived from an occupation, office, or status. So I'm going to explain all of those for you. Okay. So the most common last name is a patronymic name. Uh, These usually are formations that mean blah, son of blah, or blah, daughter of blah. So we've been watching the Avengers, right? Yes. And Thor keeps talking about how he's Odin's son. Thor, Thor Odin's son. Yes. yes. So that is what this patronomic basis means, right? Yeah. So he is Thor, Odin's son. So that becomes Odinson. His last name would eventually change over time to become Odinson. Interesting. I've uh, as I am a huge comic nerd, I that's one thing I didn't know is he's like I'm like so so why is he just telling everyone he's Odin's son but without saying that he's just I'm Thor Odinson. Mm-hmm. Not just Odin's son. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so the parent that's indicated is usually the father, but sometimes the mother's name would occur. So in English, patronomics were formed in various ways. So Johnson, Richards, and Henry are all examples of this type of name. Johnson being the full development of that name, it means son of John or John's son. You could also put it in understanding of the position in the name. So, for example, Richard's son's Martin could be called Martin Richards. 
instead of Martin Richardson because the S dropping the sun part, it just means possessive. So Martin Richards. I thought this was a history lesson, not an English lesson. (laughs) (laughs) Stay in your lane, ladies. I teach both. Well. And then so to further confuse you. Oh, good. I can't wait. Henry's son, Martin, could be known as Martin Henry because in medieval times, the position of the name Henry after Martin would imply that Martin was Henry's son. So three different ways of showing who you belonged to. Okay. (laughs) So anytime you're seeing a name that's got like Richard's, like an S or a son, that's where it's coming from. So you can think like Davidson. Mm. Can can we change my last name? I'm no longer lost son. (laughs) (laughs) I am Dakota Kelly's son. You could be Kelly's son, yeah. Yes. It would be a patronymic name. Yes. Um, we also see that in other cultures a little bit different. Um, I want to talk specifically about Scotland and Ireland. So there the p- typical patronymic form was Mac Blah, and Mac meaning son. So you would have MacAndrew, MacDougall, MacGregor, and MacLeod. So son of Andrew, son of Dougal, son of Gregor. Would the Mac mean son? Yeah. Oh, because that's a, still a thing, isn't it? The Mac, like... well, Yeah, we still have people whose last name are MacDonald or yeah. MacAndrew. So that means they're son of Donald? Well, it's... That's what the original... Yes. Not that they are now, but that's what it originally was the meaning of it. And so by the 12th 12th to 15th century, they no longer are specific to a person, but they become inherited. Yeah, right. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Cool. The second type of by name or last name are locative, locative or typonomic, and these are typical to the aristocracy in England and France, and it indicates that you are from a place that has a name. Um, usually, these last names have a prefix and then the location. So you would have, for example, D. London. Sometimes the name of the place would be followed by the given name directly. Those are a little bit more confusing. I'm trying to think of a person right now that I can, off the top of my head, who has like an actual place name as their last name, but nothing's coming to my head. And toponymic names are by names that were derived from topographic or other local features of the landscape. And so, for example, a man who lived near a prominent beech tree might use de beach or de la beach as his by name. Living near a hill or a marshy ground were also common in England, resulting in the surnames Hill and Fen. And I know a hill. I know a fen. <laughs> <laughs> So my maiden name, Beckman, is actually a topographic name for a person who lived beside a stream. <laughs> From the northern Middle English word Beck, meaning stream. Uh, but actually, Beckman, my name, yeah. uh, comes from the Germanic word Bachman, which also means near a stream. My ancestors just changed our name to Beckman to be more English sounding. Well, was creativity not flowing in those days? Like, we, we live beside a stream. That's our new last name, I guess. <laughs> No, well, um, Lawson is also linked to the ancient Anglo-Saxon culture of Britain. It comes from the baptismal name Law. So back in the day, there were people roaming the world named Law, uh, which is a short form of Lawrence. And the name Lawson was actually first found in Yorkshire in 1379. Oh. And so Lawson is the example of a patronymic name. So our your ancestors way, way, way back are sons of law. Cool. So here's a question. I don't know if you know the answer to this, but so I come from a town of a mere 300 people, and there were two Lawson, different Lawsons, <laughs> like groups of people. Mm-hmm. We are, we're not related at all. 
And yeah, we both have the same name Lawson. Like, why, I guess? Well, I think maybe there's probably two reasons for that. I think probably if you went back far enough in your genealogical tree, you might see that there was a relation somewhere. So if this name is first in existence in 1379, maybe it goes as far back as that. And two, intermarriage maybe somehow. But I bet you there, I bet you if you could follow it far enough back, you would see that you have a common ancestor somewhere. It's interesting because I knew uh, these two people that had, they, they weren't related, but they had the same last name and they ended up getting getting together and dating or whatever. But that'd just be interesting. <laughs> well, I if guess they're, if they're really far away and like <laughs> long down the line, they're like ninth cousins or something like that. <laughs> I guess the, el- the other explanation could be that um, this was a common practice naming yourself after so maybe they both had dads whose names were Law and they were like, you know what, we're both just going to call ourselves, Law- you know, Bob Lawson because even though they they weren't related. Honestly, actually, that's a good point. So the so my last name ends in son, uh, but also the, per- the people that I'm thinking of, their last name ends in son as well. Mm-hmm. So would that yeah. be why then? Dep- maybe. Maybe. Like far enough back. Or maybe they're related and they're sick. That could be the other option. <laughs> uh, so I also looked up Columbus. Oh, good. Uh, for those of you that uh, don't know, I uh, changed my name to Lawson uh, many moons ago because that's my uh, stepdad's name, Kelly. And uh, Columbus. Yes. Columbus was my was my name. Oh, joy. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I don't know if you remember me texting you, asking you how to spell it. But so I looked it up. And... Oh, yeah. Oh, that's why you were texting me about it. I <laughs> yeah. Did I even ask why you were like... No, like, you were just okay. like, okay. Yeah. Okay. Well... Uh, so it's a Hungarian surname, meaning a keeper of doves. And it comes from the word galam, which means dove or pigeon. So way back in your history, Mr. Dakota, you have... Uh, pigeon or dove keepers in your family record well i have been thinking about getting into dove racing so this is good news it means that i have a edge above people it's in your blood it's in my blood yes (laughs) i'm just picturing daryl my uh father i suppose uh like son it's finally time to show you the family secret and he opens this locked door that's been locked for many moons and there's just doves in it. It's just like, it's, it's finally time for you to ride. <laughs> and then there's a whole montage of me learning to uh, race doves. So uh, we'll call it, we'll call it um, uh, Dove Son. That'll be the name of the movie, Dove Son. Can't wait. <laughs> Can't wait to be there for that. Yeah. Um, so we've talked about the two ways of creating last names. We got a third one, epithets. Um, they refer to some personal characteristic of the bearer, so symbol similar to the way that the ancient Romans were doing that. In the Middle Ages, a person acquired this from friends and acquaintances, and it could be complimentary, uncomplimentary, or simply descriptive. So examples are Blacklock. Guesses what that could be description of? Uh, they had a, a black lock on their door? <laughs> Oh, their hair. Black hair, yeah. Oh, they <laughs> she signaled to the, to her hair. I didn't just come to that uh, on my own. <laughs> yeah. Armstrong. So they were strong armed. Yep. Greenhood. They were Robin Hood. <laughs> yeah, so those are examples of physical characteristics. You could have waster penny, sly man, careless or bonfaith. Wait, and these were actual names? These are actual last names. Oh. 
watch watch your pockets here comes sly man exactly you know Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so they would be like because you would have so many bobs roaming the world you wouldn't know which bob it was so was it bob by the stream or was it bob the sly man and that's how you got your last name interesting so but wait wait what about so this was the origins of last names okay so there wouldn't be like because i was just thinking about like well, how do they know when he's born if he's going to be a sly man? But this was the first yeah. last names. Okay. Yeah. And then those become passed down. So finally, occupational names are probably the most obvious in origin, which would be like Baker, Brewer, Weaver, Taylor, and Smith. And some of these have been feminized. So Baker becomes Baxter, Brewer becomes Brewster, and Weaver becomes Webster. <laughs> this one doesn't really make sense, but I'm going to go for it anyways. Uh <laughs> And Welder becomes Wiener. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Uh, So Tim, who is a welder, would be Tim Wiener. (laughs) You just completely made that up out of nowhere. (laughs) It's so stupid. (laughs) Carry, Carry on. The next big impact on naming trains in the West trends in the West came due to the Protestant Reformation around 1517. Uh, this is when there was a split in the Catholic Church and Christians had grown weary of the Roman Catholic Church's influence and power. They believed that the Bible, God's word, trumped Roman Catholic tradition. In 1565, Thomas Cartwright, a Reformed Church leader, advised his followers that names should be taken directly from Holy Scriptures. Um, So this is how given names of Hebrew origin were revived and used beyond the Jewish populations. Um, So Isaac, Moses, Samuel, Elijah, and Solomon. And if you look at the Mayflower passenger list, so those are the people that were escaping England and coming to America to live their religious freedom at this time. Most of the names had this Hebrew sort of influence. And that brings us to nowadays. We have shittier names. Names have not changed that much in the Western world. So remember, 80% of our names that we have in the naming pool right now come from these this history that I've just gone through. All I'm saying is I could have been named Wolfgar. And here I am, Dakota. <laughs> names reflect the values of our parents and the cultures and societies that have formed around them. However, trends in naming changes as years go on. So for example, in 2019... Liam and Emma were the most popular baby names, taking out Noah and Sophia, which had been previously the most popular. But that's how names go. They rise in popularity, enjoy a period of dominance, and then fall. The wonder is, what makes a name suddenly so popular and just as quickly no longer popular? It's a question that social scientists and historians have been puzzling over for decades. And the short answer is, no one knows. But there are some clues. (laughs) Oh, good. (laughs) So the influence of pop culture is one thing. Parents get name ideas from everything from their favorite celebrities to characters in books and movies, or even from pop music. So there's been a correlation between top songs and the names of girl children. So in a study by Michelle Napierski-Prankel, I might have butchered that, she found that when songs appeared on the Billboard Hot 100 list, such as Joanna in 1984, the name Joanna shot up in popularity. This was repeated with a number of songs and names. Popularity of this name, however, soon faded after the song itself left the chart. But it doesn't mean that every popular song will result in a popular name. When My Sharona by the Knack topped the charts for six weeks in 1979, it did not tip the name Sharona into the top 1,000 girls' names. I wonder why that is. I guess 
people didn't like that name, even though it was a good song. They weren't like, yeah, you're going to be my little Sharona. Or maybe it just wasn't on the charts for long enough. Who knows? Maybe. I don't know. I do find it interesting, though. I mean, I know when Game of Thrones was really big, like Daenerys, uh, she's the blonde dragon chick, if you don't know. (laughs) That was a really popular name. Uh, It's not just pop music that influences names. So any part of mass culture, like what you're talking about right now, can trigger hot new names. So I remember a meme going around um, last year about people being like, I better not see the name COVID or quarantine on any baby names list because that could be a thing that would happen. God, I hope not. I mean, even somehow I doubt it. Like Mm -hmm. even uh, Ubisoft, a video game uh, publisher, they're going to be before COVID started, they had a game called uh, the subtitle of the game was Quarantine. Mm -hmm. And they're changing that Mm -hmm. because... Bad press. <laughs> Bad press for sure. Yeah. Names can be influenced by politicians. So we already talked about how early American names were influenced by Puritan beliefs. Isaac, Moses, Samuel. This is repeated in America after the American Revolution. Many parents named their babies after influential leaders such as George Washington, Thomas Jefferson. 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 Hello. I, I am Thomas Jefferson. <laughs> Washington Irving and Martha Dandridge. Politics can even have subtler effects on the naming of children. So a pair of psychologists noted that the long-held stereotype of Western Americans being highly independent would have an effect on baby naming. They found that parents in Northwestern states such as Montana, Washington, Oregon, Idaho, and Wyoming were the least likely in the country to pick popular baby names. One intriguing trend in baby names that has developed is that they have become more diverse as time has gone on. My guess and this is only my guess, is that Christianity has less of an influence on society today than it did when all of these names were coming up in the world. Uh, But that's my thought, and I don't know if it's true. But um, in America, over the last 100 years, Americans have increasingly embraced novelty. They've become less likely to pick already popular names and more likely to mint entirely new ones. So they're making their baby names brand new. Back in 1900, for example, 91% of children were given a name from the top 1,000 most popular names. But in the 2000s, only 75% of girls were given a name from the top 1,000, while 86% of boys were. And so that I also find is interesting. Why are more boys given popular names than girls? That is interesting. I'm so is this is this because everybody wants to they want their baby to have a unique name that they're not choosing uh, the what's popular at the time? Could be. Yeah. Could be. I don't know. I think in today's time everybody wants to be unique, so that wouldn't be that wouldn't surprise me. It's like whereas back in the day it was very popular to, you know, especially if they're naming them a Christian name, you know, wanting them to have a name after a saint mm-hmm. so that that saint would be watching over them. Whereas that isn't as much of a thing mm-hmm. now. It is a good hypothesis. I'm Th- sure there's. Thank you. I uh, worked it up in my lab. I'm sure there has been studies done. I just didn't look into it. So, uh, are you interested in knowing some of the predicted naming trends for 2021? Oh yeah, let's hear them. All right. So number one, a name with a magical theme. Names of superheroes. Names that carry an incantatory power to protect and strengthen children during these hard times of COVID. Are those two different things, or are you saying that as one? This is all one theme, trend sort of thing. So So a a superhero name that will grant them to be safe? Yeah, so like Adonis, or the antithesis of that, which is Callie, 
You could have Messiah and Lucifer are predicted to be popular. Lucifer, uh, yeah. So, like the devil, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that I mean, that it, seems like the opposite of what you want. Doesn't mean that it doesn't carry power though. Like Lucifer traditionally is thought to have been a powerful person, thing, True. demon. You can also have names that are like spell-inducing names. So brave, noble, legendary, and legacy. Ooh, legacy. Mm-hmm. That's An- cool. Another trend. So it's TikTok influenced cottagecore names. Cottagecore names. Yeah, cottagecore is the aesthetic of um like nature, people who dream of escaping quarantine in their urban apartments. Examples of this include bear, clover, opal, silas, and wilder. Sound like hippie names to me. Sure. <laughs> Unisex names ending in Ari are predicted to be popular. So Akari, Imari, Kamari, mm. Zamari. These are largely gender neutral names. Kind of like I kind of like that. The uh, Amari. Did you say Amari? I did. Cool. We're not naming it. We're no. Jasper, um, your new name is Amari. There we go. <laughs> so these are infinitely customizable, and you could pretty much do whatever you want and put the Ari on the end. Uh, traditionally, Ferrari. There you go. <laughs> traditionally, Ari names have authentic roots in Japanese and Swahili language, but now many are the creation of inventive parents in search of an on-trend but unusual name. And finally, the celebrity trend most likely to catch on are avian middle names. So in 2021, middle names are predicted to be inspired by birds. A bunch of celebrity babies with bird-related middle names were born in 2020, including Daisy Dove, Ripley Nightingale, and Osian Lark. If you want to know more, I've linked to that article that I got those from on today.com because there are a few more trends that I didn't talk about. And so that is it. The brief history of Western names. Woo! (laughs) Just so hyped. So thoughts so it's a little bit of a mix for me i enjoyed it i enjoyed the newer stuff more than i enjoyed the older stuff but that's just me i just i prefer more modern stuff so i like learning more about uh um like i really like the naming trends and stuff like that well i think also too i'm not doing a great job of teaching older history i wouldn't say that i just it's not uh something that i I think I got a little bit lost in the weeds with certain things because there's a there was a lot. Like mm-hmm. you said at the beginning, you're like, I didn't know if there was going to be anything on this. Turns out there's a shit ton. <laughs> yeah. So and there's a lot of stuff to go through. And like there was one point where I th- still thought we were in in Greece, but we were some somewhere else. So it like there was a, a lot to it. I think. Uh. So, but I did enjoy it. Uh. I particularly liked learning about why certain names like why it's instead of robert you, you say bob or instead of richard you say dickhead <laughs> Sorry, I, tried, I tried to keep it together that made me laugh i'm i just i cracked myself up <laughs> so i found that interesting to find out that it's rhyming mm-hmm. yeah, i thought that part was cool too <laughs> like the the and just the ridiculous i just think that's ridiculous that um it's <laughs> it's not even really rhyming it's oh richard so rick dick you know it's kind of weird but i found that really interesting so i am going to give this 7.5 pietros doesn't want to have his name changed out of 10 perfect (laughs) was that his name pietros did i get that wrong cephas petros peter i thought cephas was his new name Cephas was his original name, the Aramaic version of his name. See, even that, I I, I fucked that up. I thought, <laughs> I thought Jesus was like 
your new name is Cephas Pietros. And he was like, I don't want to. And I just like, I knew I, I know I already did that joke, but I really like talking as Pietros. I know you do. It's fun. So it's fair. So fair. Anyways. uh, So yeah, it was, it was interesting. Just the older stuff just had a hard time giving me that hook. Yeah. And I think I can work on my hook. Yeah. Well, that's all we have for this week. We'd like to thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to hang out with us. If you enjoyed listening to what we had to say, please subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, or Google. Please leave a review or even just tell your friends to listen to us. If you want to stay in contact or see behind-the-scenes action, you can follow us on Instagram at The Reluctant Historian. Or if you want to shoot us an email with future show ideas or corrections you may have noted, you can email us at thereluctanthistorian at gmail.com. So we'll see you next week. Same time, same place. And remember, don't be a Richard head. Hey everybody, I'm Eric Erickson, host of The Open Highway. You know, I've had some incredible adventures in my life, and along the way I've learned a little bit about everything, which, to be honest with you, is just enough to get me into trouble. But I bring that with me when I sit down with guests from the worlds of politics, news, science, current events, entertainment, and more. The Open Highway with Eric Erickson. Join me on The Open Highway, and let's have a conversation. Find it wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.